In this episode of STEMiverse, Marcus and I talk with Yulia McDowell. Yulia and her husband, Nicholas, are the founders of Tinker Tank, a creativity and collaboration space in beautiful Manly, just out of Sydney, Australia. At Ticket Tank, Yulia and her mentor collaborators offer STEAM education programs and activities aimed to inspire the next generation of scientists and engineers. In this conversation, Yulia discusses STEM, makerspaces, schooling and homeschooling, and how to motivate children so that they learn because they want to, not because they have to. This is STEMiverse, episode 2. Welcome to STEMiverse, the podcast that helps educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. I'm Peter Dalmaris, and with my co-host, Marcus Sharpie, our mission is to bring you the experiences of educators, students, and stakeholders who strive every day to make the teaching and learning of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and art better. Hey Marcus, good to see you. Where are we? (laughs) Where are we? That's a good question. We're at Tinker Tank. Tinker Tank. According to the sign on the wall. And who are we sitting with? Yulia. Yulia McDowell. That's right. Hi. (laughs) Got your name properly. (laughs) Awesome. Hey Julia, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for coming. It's our pleasure and this is an amazing space. We spent a bit of time. Uh, We got here a few minutes early and did a tour. And it's a really nice, comfortable space where kids get to learn by doing. That's exactly right. right. Hands-on. Can you tell us what's happening here? So Tinker Tank's been open for about five months. And the idea is to get kids really inspired and interested in science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, otherwise known as STEAM, or some people call it STEM. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the A is very important, but We'll touch on that a bit later. Whoa, what is this business? Is it a homeschooling venture? Is it a maker space? What is... Well, that's interesting because we are a little bit of both. We are definitely number one priority is a maker space mm-hmm. and, a, and a space for kids to do, do interesting things. And it might not be making things, it could be doing things like robotics and, and coding. Um, but because I homeschooled my three children, um, it also has become a little bit of a homeschooling clubhouse. So we have kids come through during the day that are homeschoolers and, and they get to use the facility when, uh, you know, when it's uh, just for them and not for school age, for school kids. Yeah. Uh, where is Tinker Tank located? Tinker Tank's in Manly. We're just off the Corso down this uh, alleyway called Rialto Lane. And, uh, and it's basically between the Corso and Wentworth. Okay. So Manly is where? A suburb of Sydney, Australia. Yes. And it's a beautiful place here. Yeah, so right by the beach. Beautiful place, like space inside a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. So kids can actually come to the beach. That's right. So when we run our camps, we actually go to the beach at lunch. So yeah, we run around in the sand and then we come back and play with robots. <laughs> and I've also heard that it's possible for parents to come drop the kids off the kids can go all sorts of amazing things like disassemble all VCRs or they go to one of the restaurants here and have a good time, right? That's right. Yeah, we've got a STEM date night where the parents can drop their kids off for three hours and we 
listen to the kids and what they're most interested in doing and then and follow their lead while the parents get uh, get to go to a couple of the local restaurants that have given us a deal. Yeah, I get a How young money. do you go? How young do we go? <laughs> Five to 16, yeah. We've got a three month and a four year old. They might be You're a little too. Probably getting there, but I'm <laughs> definitely within the range, I'm gonna try this. Definitely. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk a little bit about yourself first and get a feel about your background. So how, how does your, you know, your history fit with what you're doing now, if at all it could be something completely new for you, but tell us about your background. Well, my background actually is um, pretty interesting. I worked for Industrial Light and Magic, George Lucas's company, for almost 10 years, actually exactly 10 years. And, um, and that space was just this incredibly inspirational um, facility we had in the backyard we had you know sound studios and and studios and spaces where we had actors coming in and set design prop design costume design um, we were we had a pyrotechnics group that would build things and blow it up you know we'd have huge water tanks with you know to scale ships in it and they would blow those up and it was just this incredibly inspiring space and, um, and, and then inside, you know, in the front lot were all the computer animators and modelers and designers and artists that were just incredibly talented. And whenever I would bring any of my friends or family there, they would just, their jaw would hit the floor and they would just be like, this is incredible. And, is this and, Skywalker Ranch? Yeah, well, no, not Skywalker Ranch. It was called Kerner Optical. It was our oh. secret, secret laboratory. Um, but uh, Skywalker Ranch is where they did the sound mostly, uh -huh. sound and, and a lot of the uh, costume and prop storage and design. And then Kerner Optical was where ILM was located, and it was several buildings on a big lot um, that was primarily uh, uh, post-production work, okay. so visual effects and, and uh, effects. And where was that in California? That's in, in San Rafael, uh, just north of uh, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. and, um, and yeah, so being there and working there was just um, inspiration to create a space like that for kids because I could just see their eyes light up in that environment where there's so, you know, unlimited possibilities everywhere you look, mm -hmm. you know, like I could totally do that. You can see them just thinking I could do that. You know, that's, that's fun and it's amazing and it's exciting. And, and honestly, it's it's STEM. It's science, technology, engineering, and arts in there, and, and tons of math. I mean, uh, animation. There's a lot of math in animation, so you know, it covered all it covered all of it. So it just made sense when the maker movement started. I just when we were in, in San Francisco after that ten years at ILM, I was like, this this is the perfect opportunity to create something like that. And then we moved to Australia. And it just, it just seemed like the right thing to do at the right time. Got to ask, why did you move from the Bay Area to Australia? Uh, my husband's Australian, oh, and I've always wanted to live here okay. <laughs> at the beach. So we thought we'd give it a shot, and uh, we, we've all fallen in love with it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's a good choice. Yeah, it is. Myself being um, not a very recent, but a fairly recent migrant, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's an awesome place to live, mm -hmm. raise children, safe as well. So. Uh, yeah, it was the right move. Yeah, it's so safe I here. So. It's so beautiful. Yeah, uh, I've got to say that for like, I mean, I'm listening to you talking about ILM and how movies are made, it's just an amazing 
uh, enterprise making a movie at that scale, isn't it? Like there's so many different disciplines involved and yes. a lot of what they make is original, hasn't been done before. Absolutely. So they've got to figure out how to do it. Mm. And that's where a lot of that, this, uh, the, the principles around making, prototyping, trying things out, and see what works, what doesn't. Mm -hmm. I can see where you got your inspiration for exactly. that, out of all that. Um, are you doing any movies here? Um, we actually do have a YouTube camp where we're teaching kids how to, you know, plan out your idea and storyboard it, script it, and actually film it, yeah. edit it, and and uh, put sound to it. I find a lot of kids, because they're exposed to YouTube and a lot of their um, so-called heroes, YouTubers, make their movies, mm -hmm. I find that at least my kids develop an early interest to make movies. Yes. And then... That is also something that is part of making because they need to start thinking about scripts and thinking ahead and mm -hmm. planning and then the equipment and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I think you do have classes for movie making, don't you? We'll yeah, well, animation. Website. We have yeah. animation and, and how to do a YouTube. YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the two of them sort of cross over between two things. You know, the YouTube channel tends to be more about for the kids, more about gaming, or maybe they have a hobby that they're really into and they focus on that, which is great. It's it's like vlogging in a way, really. Mm -hmm. But we still teach them how to do it in a way that comes out very professional looking, so it's not just a kid with a camera, you know. And then the animation is the same sort of idea where from start to start to finish, it's the whole process is covered. Even when they're little, even when they're five, six years old, they get it and they really try to, to make it work. Sometimes they go off track and that's the way it goes, but okay. they're still having fun. <laughs> that's the idea. Mm -hmm. um, since you touched the topic of teaching, can you describe how teaching takes place here? So let's say that I'm a, a parent and I want to have a, a quiet um, date with my wife mm -hmm. for a couple of hours, so I drop mm -hmm. my kids here. How do you teach them without them thinking that they're in school? That's so right, we try not to be like a school. That's our, our, I mean, there's nothing wrong with schools, don't get me wrong, but what we're trying to do here is create an environment that is fun. It's all based on just having fun. If there is anyone in this space that has a frown on their face or looks bored, it's not allowed to last more than about 20 seconds. We really try to focus on each individual child, what their interests are, and keep them engaged the whole entire time they're here. If they get bored with what they're doing, which they rarely do, we will move them on to the next thing that they're interested in. Even if they signed up for an animation class and they're done, and they're like, I want to explore the 3D printer. Guess what we're going to do with them? We're going to take them over to that 3D printer and we're going to show them how, it, how it's used. We're going to show them how to design something. And if we have time, we'll print it. You know, it's just about being in this space. It's about being creative and being really happy. So I would say our, our general approach is project-based learning. And I'm sure you've heard of that as a homeschooler and also self-directed learning. So we may have the general structure of what we want to do with the kids, and we do tell them right from the start what we do want to do with them, but and we guide them along that path. But if they do have another journey that they want to go on, we'll support that. And how do you do that when you have a group of children or wanting to do disparate it's, things? It's actually surprisingly easy. Um, you know, uh, most kids are really engaged in what they're doing and they don't want to go off their course. So if there is one child that does want to go off course and they want to, and someone else wants to join them on that, it's, it's not too hard to manage. 
And if and then if the whole entire group wants to do something different, it makes it actually much easier. So it's just about being a real dynamic teacher, and that's one of the things we look for in our mentors that come here is that they can handle that um, dynamic environment that is constantly changing and shifting. We, we do have a structure. We do have a structure, and we do have modules, and we do try to follow those. But like I said, it's our prime objective is for them to have fun so that they will learn in that environment. What I've learned with having my kids homeschooling is that when, whenever they're having fun, that's when they retain the information. So Engagement. they can retain everything that we do with them here. That's uh, that's one of our main objectives. And how do you hire? How do you hire your mentors? Uh, through word of mouth mostly. In the beginning, we hired people through advertisements, and it didn't work out so well. Um, they were people that were had this idea that they were passionate about it, but didn't really know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. And so now that we have a good core group of people here, they know a lot of people that would fit. And so now it's basically, we're building on word of mouth. I'm finding that people that understand um, children, like um, ex-teachers are quite good, especially teachers that are looking to change mm -hmm. up their environment. Um, we've had a lot of uh, really interesting people come through with that sort of a background. And also people that have their own initiatives, for example, um, People that might have their own side business that focuses on robotics or focuses on um, geology, you know, and they'll come in and the, because they're so passionate about what they do, they bring that energy into Tinker Tank and, and it's contagious. So there would be, uh, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be frequent contributors, I suppose. You would schedule them perhaps during a um, summer break. Yeah, we've got multiple levels. So we've got courses, workshops, camps, and uh, and then we do birthday parties and such. So the courses have we have a regular um, sort of roster of mentors that we call upon um, based on the need. And then um, for camps, same idea. Um, but we have our core group of people that work here full time, and uh, and they're the ones that really make Tink Tink uh, what it is and and keep up the standards. How many people do you have? We've got four full-time staff, mm -hmm. cool. and uh, they each have their own sort of specialty, so it's nice, well-rounded group. Do you target a particular age group for students? Uh, well, currently, it just seems like our main, the main age group that's very interested is the ages 7 to about 10, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. um, what we are trying to do is get the older kids in here now, we really feel that those older kids between the ages of 12 and 14, even 16, have sort of lost that passion for STEM because of maybe what has happened in the school system or maybe their grades weren't good enough or tests or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do is find a way to get them in here and have them rediscover science, yeah. you know, and technology yeah. because it's, it's going to be really, it's going to be important for, for them. <laughs> Uh, I've experienced the pain myself uh, at school, and uh, it's some, again, it's something that I talk about in my book as well. Uh, I don't know if you have experience from older kids, say 16, 15, 16 years old. Um, do you have a way of bringing them back to from the dark side? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> complete demotivation <laughs> from learning back to the right side where you know, the brain is activated again, how would you advise a parent or even a teacher who's having this, this kind of problem in the class mm -hmm. 
how would you advise them to try and motivate children that age to come back? Oh boy, that is really tough because we're still battling that question ourselves. I mean, when they get in here, it's fine. But outside of this space, I wouldn't know what to say. Um, when they come into this space, they're quite, um, they're quite inspired, obviously, because of the potential that they have here. And they see it literally the minute they walk in the door. Um, outside of the space, I would have to say, just from my own personal experience with the preteen, that the best way to get their attention is to surprise them, you know, with something new and different, something exciting, outside of your regular routine. Um, it might be an excursion. It might be uh, meeting someone that you know might inspire them and introducing them to introducing them to that person is almost like a mentor. I've seen that work very, very well. I think. People coming in and speaking to children of that age uh, is is really important, actually, to see that there's other opportunities and other um, ways of, of approaching subjects or or what their passion might be. Yeah, I think there's a lot of psychology there. Uh, kids at that age are still formulating their likes and dislikes and other people's impressions upon them. could be you know, the peers at school, if they, if the peers at school are not motivated to learn STEM or technology or whatever it might mm -hmm. be, uh, then it is highly likely that they themselves will not be motivated as well. So if you can bring them to an environment where the peers are uh, interesting people, they're motivated, they like to learn, they like to tinker, like here, this space mm -hmm. here, Tinker Tank, uh, that actually can be a big boost for uh, for the self-esteem, for their um, the will to learn, the will to persevere, any blocks, mental blocks that they might have. Yes. So, yes. I think um, talking to a few friends at another meetup last week, that was a big part of it, and that's why competitive robotics, for example, is a big thing in the United States and other parts of the world, where children or teenagers or pre-teenagers get into a group together and there's cross-motivation there and because they want to win as well, there's That's an additional right. lever mm -hmm. that uh, a teacher can take advantage of to try and push them. Yeah, the competitive edge. Yeah. Competitiveness. Mm -hmm. Kids are very competitive, especially at that age. So yeah, it's a big problem. It is. It's definitely a big problem and one that I really, really hope that we can address, um, especially around this area. I mean, there's tons of surfing, there's tons of socializing, but uh, there's, there's not a lot of uh, what we're doing, and I, I would love to see more teenagers in here. There's no TV role models. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's switch uh, topic a little bit. I'd like to get into a few things uh, in some depth. Let's see, because it's also a matter of time, let's see how far we go. Now, let's think blue sky <laughs> for a few minutes, okay. right? So let's say that you money was not an issue what would you do with this place here if money wasn't an money issue money wasn't an issue and you were actually able to implement all your big ideas oh my goodness what would you do well i would definitely um have uh the facility or the ability to send out our ideas to schools that don't have this readily available so i would have Tinker Tank trucks going to different schools all around, uh, you know, urban and suburban areas that wouldn't normally get access to something like this. 
Um, and it's actually something that we are aiming to do. So um, that's definitely a dream that I would fulfill. And sure. I, would, I would also get more people to come in and talk to the kids. I'm, that's one of our initiatives as well, is to get more, more um, inspirational speakers. Okay. And what kind of people have you got a few people in mind? Like if you could choose anyone, would it be Dr. Carl, for example? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely some celebrities. But I also really think that local celebrities or local success stories are really important for kids so that they can really see that anyone can do it or that it is a possibility. Mm -hmm. I think that that's quite important. Um, What you know, comes to mind there? Who comes to mind? Who there? comes to mind? Well, um, without saying any names, there are people in town that, you know, have, um, for example, a YouTube channel that is quite successful. And to have them come in and speak to the kids and say, this is a possibility and you can follow your passion and make it, you know, make it a dream come true, make it work for you. Um, you know, we have a lot of filmmakers in Sydney that I am connected with that I would love to have come into the space and talk to the kids, animators, producers, directors, costume designers, set builders. You know, these are, these are real people. These are real people that live in our community and, and can really motivate kids to break out of their shell and, and discover what they really love. I think uh, it's, it's very important, very important. But as, as for money buying anything, I mean, I would get way more equipment. I would have more facilities. I would have a facility in every town. I would have the best employees. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So it's really a matter of resources. You want to reach as many kids as possible. Absolutely. So you, you use the resources to try and do what you're doing here bigger. Absolutely. Okay. Scale, scale, scale. Yeah. I, I would love to have a tinker tank in every town. What's, uh, how do you see make a spaces in Australia, and I know it's a fairly new phenomenon, mm -hmm. versus the US, where you've, you probably have some experience from make a space in the US. What is it what similar? Is, what is dissimilar? Well, I think the maker spaces in the US, from what I gather, I've only been to a couple, and they're amazing, and they've got the right people on board, and they're passionate, and they're excited to get kids into the space. I don't know if they're necessarily focused on STEM the way we are, um, because I, I think what they're focused on is just a general maker space, because that was the movement, the maker movement, maker yeah. fairs, you know, it's about getting your hands dirty, which is awesome. Um, it's a bit ours, of mentorship as well in those places, in my experience. So there's the, the older guys that know yes. how to solder, for example, and then, hey, come over here, kids, I'll show you how to do this difficult joint and clean it up. So yeah. there's mentorship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we, that's definitely um, how they operate. They definitely have uh, more of a hands-on. They do a lot of more woodworking, a lot of more sewing, a lot of more of that maker kind of thing, right? Which is, which is great. And I know they do a lot of robotics and stuff mm -hmm. as well, but we're really more focused. We do woodworking and, and break it down and stuff like that, but we do really focus most of our work around science and technology right now, um, just because it's needed. Yep. And I think we will, as we grow and we develop, we'll, we'll expand more and more. And we do, have, we do offer these things, but our main focus is about science and technology right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and there, there is a great need, I think you, you very spot on on that uh, with the schools, um, mm -hmm. with uh, uh, the, the lack of similar facilities mm -hmm. uh, in, in school infrastructure. So uh, uh, the 
the American style maker space where it's mostly you know grown ups, fifty uh, year old yeah. men. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yeah. that, that's a different model, isn't it? Totally different model. There's, uh, I think, there's one kids maker space in Toronto, and I think one has opened up in the San Francisco Bay area. But for the for the most part, the ones I do know about are usually in schools. Yeah. And they're and they're school run. Right. I'd like to ask you something else, uh, uh, Julia. Um, do you think that students, the way that they learn, the demands that the schooling system places on them, and the expectations of students and their parents, have those things changed over the last 10 or 20 years? Absolutely. <laughs> so what it was like being a parent 20 years ago, what did you expect your child to learn at school, for example, versus today? Uh, well, I think that... I think that the primary thing that's changed is, is well, there's a few things I could go on, seriously. It's a big one. <laughs> Where do I begin? So I think that what we learned in school were the basics back about 20 years ago. I think it was, it was fine if we just learned to read, write, and, you know, uh, behave. That was pretty much <laughs> the end of it, right? Um, whereas now, I think that... Um, you know, a lot of parents want their kid to have a career after grade six, like the way that they study and the way that they um, really uh, test and, and uh, over schedule their time. You know, I don't think kids have time to be kids anymore. I think that's, that's my short, so short answer. <laughs> so how do you fix that? Yeah. How do you fix it? You take your kids out of school. <laughs> that's what you do. Um, you do... So I think the way you fix it is by homeschooling, honestly. I mean, the school board is not going to change their ways for, for quite some time, although they have been changing over the last six or seven years now. They're slowly realizing, at least in the States, not yet here in America, that, um, that they're, over, they're over-testing. They're over-testing and they're over-taxing um, um, you know, their, their students and they're stressed and they're developing health issues and... And unfortunately, Australia hasn't caught on to this, and they're still doing exactly what America did and actually ramping it up. So um, I'm hoping they'll catch on soon. It's almost as if, actually not, I think it is, uh, as the intensity of life in modern society has gone at red, right? So has the intensity of schooling has gone at, at red, because it seems like people believe that if the kids don't get the best marks and they don't uh, know what they want to do when they graduate from high school in year six, all horrible things yeah. are going to happen. Yeah, their life is over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's, so your, your advice to people, of course, is don't go where all the damage is being done to your kids and homeschool your kids. But myself being a homeschooling parent, I know firsthand how hard it is actually to homeschool and it's very hard not, not actually the the activity of homeschooling the, your kids mm-hmm. but creating the infrastructure around it so that at least one parent can be full-time at home That's looking right. after the kids mm-hmm. while the other one can be doing as much work for two parents <laughs> right. outside yeah. mm-hmm. and this is something that most couples don't can't do uh, if they're lucky enough to be coupled because there's a lot of families that are just single parents. 
So if you are in that situation where switching from traditional education to homeschooling is not an option, mm -hmm. what is the second best option for people like that? Um, well, of course, there's Tinker Tank's homeschool option, <laughs> funnily enough. We just launched um, this term where, you know, you don't even have to be a homeschooler. If you take your kids out of school, we'll help you register them as homeschoolers, and then they can just uh, learn at Tinker Tank, and we have a very structured program that covers all, all the topics that, you know, science and technology, and maths, and some engineering, and a lot of art, and... Um, and we have great mentors and teachers that come in and we tick all the boxes that need to be ticked and we keep records and uh, they have a great time being in this space. It's very inspiring. Um, and it's, you know, pretty reasonable price. It's less than a pri uh, private school and pretty close to most public school fees. So we try to keep it pretty reasonable. I think it works out to something like $13 an hour if you come four days a week, which is you know, cheaper than a babysitter and you're so getting an you, education. Let's say that just so that people can understand what what life for the child at Ticket Tank would look like. Uh, would they come in, say, nine o'clock or whatever mm -hmm. time they like? Some kids it would like be run very much like a school, but without all the lineups and, you know, holding your hand up and, you know. The overheads. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot, you know, come at nine and we get you settled in and, um, each day we have a different uh, sort of theme. So Mondays and Tuesdays, Mondays is mostly about robotics and Tuesdays is about robotics and coding and some other little things in there. And then Wednesdays we focus on um, engineering and arts and Thursdays we focus on arts and math. And Fridays we are actually working with an, an outside um, resource that will do excursions to different locations. So um, that's separate, but we're including it sort of in, our, in the five-day So how would you package. differ from, say, a Riverside or Montessori type school? Well, I think that, you know, I've never, my children have never attended that, but I do understand their structure. And I think that um, we're very similar in a lot of ways in that we are child-led and project-based and very individualized learning, very specialized to, to that child because it is a small space and we're not going to have 30 kids in the space with, for the homeschoolers. It'll probably be 10 to 12 max, you know, for each day. And those kids will get, you know, it's like having a private tutor, really. You'll, they'll learn very quickly um, about things that they love and that they're interested in and we'll focus on their interests because that's why we're here. Um, I suppose for kids to start at Tink and Tank as homeschoolers, mm -hmm. they, will, they will need to be already capable of reading and writing ideally, and a bit of Ideally, I think that um, what we would love is to see more of the older kids in here first. Mm -hmm. And then it's like a schoolhouse, you know, mm -hmm. it's all ages. We're not going to separate the kids. They're all going to work together and learn from each other. Um, we can and we have had camps where we have five-year-olds here all day with 14-year-olds and it's beautiful, you know, it's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Um, and a lot of the times the older kids will help the young kids happily. Uh, it's across it's a, ages. Yeah, it's a beautiful environment. Um, but how, yeah. how much time do kids spend in that kind of program? Is it like a full seven, eight hour day? Or so the day goes from nine till three with an hour break for lunch and a half hour break for morning tea and a half hour break for afternoon tea. 
And we do go outside to the beach, like I said, and we do run around so they get their outdoor time. And um, we try to wear them out out there so that they don't go home too antsy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so their day is pretty much structured exactly like a nine to three school day, except uh, they get to uh, have a lot more freedom and fun. So uh, can you give us an example of student-led learning? Mm. Perhaps in that group of students that are enrolled in the homeschooling sure. program, how would it look like? Uh, so if uh, by chance the child is very interested in robotics, we can take them from learning very, very basic robotics and teaching them the, the general generalities of that and then have them progress at their own pace. If they decide that they need help during that course, then we give them that help and we mentor them along the way, which we're there to help them. So as child-love learning goes, they would decide what which path that robotics would go. So for example, if they're interested in solving a, a particular problem or finding a solution for something, we would help guide them to that solution, but it would be their interests that would be leading that pathway. So that's, right. that's an example of how. So they could pick up a little project that involves a two-wheeled robot um, avoiding obstacles or following a light mm -hmm. and then they will be working on the project where occasionally a mentor would be helping them out. Yeah, the mentor is always available, that's, that's why we're here. So the mentor is always here so they don't feel stuck, they don't get frustrated, but they can move forward confidently. The idea of child-led learning is that we're following their interest, what they really want to learn about what they really want to explore hmm. and uh, just making that pathway clear for them. How long would a, a program like that last? Is it like... So it depends on how long they're here. So if they're here for the term and they're here one day a week, then we work on that initiative with them every day, every time they're here for that day. So they can choose what suits them best in terms of scheduling them, the parents? Well, what we try to do is we're trying to keep it, like I said, Mondays as a certain theme, Tuesdays. So if you have, if you are coming in on Wednesdays, you would focus more on the engineering. So you might be taking things apart and rebuilding motors and doing some circuitry. Um, and, and we'd like to focus it that way because that's when our mentors are here that can specialize on those things yeah. and help them on that path. Right. Mm -hmm. So they would adjust the schedule then because they're all homeschoolers so they're fairly flexible with the time so yes. they can adjust the schedule with what you offer a particular day mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. but we do like i said before if the child is there on a on a wednesday and they're very interested in including an art aspect to the project that they're working on mm -hmm. guess what we're going to do that for them because that's their that's their path that's what they want to learn and that's their that's their goal so we, we will help them with that it was a great segue about art. So <laughs> I wanted to ask, unless did you want to? Yeah, yeah. The, yes. Change track. So, um, how do you integrate art into all the say taking things apart or <laughs> playing with wheeled robots chasing a light? Mm -hmm. Do you have dedicated art classes, or do you have to integrate art into everything else that you do? Well, everything here is pretty co-curricular, so a lot of, there's a lot of crossover. We have, um, I mean, the, the whole idea of art is interesting. You know, art isn't just brush to paper. Art is creativity. And I think that if you 
inject that creativity into everything from robots to taking apart, you know, printers, it can happen. I mean, taking apart printers, we're collecting all these incredible components. We can put those together into a piece of artwork that actually moves and jiggles and shakes and rotates or whatever it is the child wants to do, or they might not want it to do anything in particular, but make it look really pretty. So that is art. That is art in taking apart an appliance. Mm -hmm. There's art in building robots. We've got 3D printers where we can build shells around the robots that the kids design and print, and then we put it onto the robot. There's Art is everywhere. Without art and creativity, there's nothing. And that's why I really believe in STEAM and over STEM. Yeah. So, uh, even myself, after a while, I start to appreciate what aesthetically looks pleasing to the eye with the stuff that I make. Even code. Yeah. Marcus writes a lot of code. He <laughs> likes his code to be beautiful and there's the aesthetic aspect. Do you change the colors <laughs> so it looks really nice as it goes down? Something like that. The intention, you know, the, the names that you choose for your functions or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I won't go into God's gift <laughs> of programming languages, but anyway. <laughs> so actually, on a practical note, your bootstrap company, you've had to I guess, pick and choose what tools and equipment you use to fit your budget. Yes. So you decided on purchasing certain equipment that would give you the best bang for the buck. Yes. I'd love to know about what equipment you decided to buy and why you decided to buy it. Uh, we actually tried to focus on a lot of startups mm -hmm. to support. Um, I know that sounds a bit crazy, but... Um, Incredibly we, crazy. Like, yeah, we've actually had interesting... Um, experiences with a lot of the companies. So a couple of the companies we work with are Australian and they're amazing and they've had great customer support and they instantly respond to any questions or issues. And I really wanted to support Australian companies as well. I thought that was important and they were startups. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then we chose a couple of startups in the States that were actually Kickstarter companies. And I just really love the idea of Kickstarter. I, I'm a huge fan and I know that they, it's a risk. It's a risky mm -hmm. thing to do is is just rely on something. For example, I ordered one product and I ordered it two years ago and it arrived last week. What was yeah. that? You got it. Yeah, I finally <laughs> got it. I'm still for mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just been, it's very risky, but when you really believe in something, I think it's worth, I'm still actually waiting on another Kickstarter project. Um, I'm <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it's worth it in the end because it's going to be unique. It's going to be, you know, bootstrapped or a funded, uh, low funded project where you're helping them out, you're getting them global. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm a huge supporter in that. I think it's really, really important. Um, and then of course, quality. So. Um, for the more expensive equipment, obviously we're going with, you know, top brands that have, you know, good reliability. For example, we use all Macs right now. Um, we are going to get some other um, equipment just for diversity in, in the facility. So what, what did you, what do you use? Like, uh, this is specifically targeted to teachers who are like, oh. what should I get? Um, well, we use uh, Mi 3D printers, which are great for schools because they're really reasonably priced and they're quite robust. Mm -hmm. um, also, our students put them together for us, which handy. is incredible. And we have students repair them for us as part of their um, course, which I think is vitally important. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. if you're going to use the equipment, Fixed you should know how to fix it. Yes. Yep. Um, and also, it gives them great respect for it, so they don't want it to break, <laughs> so they, they don't want to have to fix it again, so it teaches them a lot about that. Um, and also, what else do we use? We've got a Formlab uh, 3D resin printer, which is pretty incredible, but that's quite high-end, and um, I don't think it's readily 
would be readily available for Would you recommend it for school? Um, no, because I think that student, I mean, maybe for high school level, if they're actually prototyping something that they want to take further, maybe, but I, I don't think the school would get a lot out of it in the long run. I think it would be better for them to prototype with something like a, a Me 3D printer. Um, it won't be great quality, but it'll give them a great idea of the process. Yep. Um, and then the rest of the equipment is just Lego, Max. Mm -hmm. you know, we do a lot of Lego education products. Um, we've got little bits. Uh, we've got little bits yeah. as well, which is a huge hit. So for electronics, what kind of tools do you use? Like little bits, uh, do you use other things or is it? For the electronics, that it goes into our, our engineering and our, our um, break it down courses where the kids actually get to solder um, circuits and, and uh, get the components to work together. So. So you go to the bare components like resistors, yes, yeah, to yeah. get the kids yeah. to assemble them. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. and we, what do we use for that? What do you mean? Like, are you doing that with an Arduino? Or? Oh yeah, so we do Arduino kits and we also have a, a custom made kit okay. that we have an on site for the um, advanced robotics course. Oh, cool. mm -hmm. Do you have an opinion on um, a tool like Little Bits versus getting the kids exposed to the guts of the electronics? <laughs> you know, well, it's interesting because kids love little bits, but they also love gutting equipment mm. and seeing how it mm. all connects together. Um, so I think that the two are actually kind of vital to have. Um, little bits has been incredible to explain how it all works because it's very, very simple to use. It's color coded. It's, it's amazing. They, I can easily keep kids engaged for over an hour with little bits and that's them just exploring, just is experimenting. The, the value of something like little bits is that the frustration level for the kids is Drops. very low, right? So very that low. they can just focus on yeah. the concepts behind it, on the thing that they're trying to build instead of oh, this soldering <laughs> doesn't work. And That's the, exactly right. The iron is not hot enough and things like that that frustrate kids at that age. Yeah, that's I exactly that's right. Yeah, the, the frustration factor is actually something that is, is very important for us to eliminate. As soon as we see anyone getting frustrated, we have to um, pick them up and, and help them find their, their way back. How do you manage that? Usually we, we tell them to figure it out on their own first and we're here to help them. You know, that's the, that's the, uh, the thing is that we're not gonna do it for them. Um, we really believe that kids can really work it out. And if it means that we have to re-explain everything for them to figure it out themselves, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But um, for something like Little Bits, what I usually do is I'll take them back to the cards. There's a deck of cards and I'll say, okay, which ones are you using right now? And we'll lay them out so it's a different perspective. And then they can look at them and we'll read the backs together again so that we can remember what each component does. Oh, right. I know what I, know what I did wrong. And then they figure it out themselves. But we just have to review what it was that they did. Yeah, system in troubleshooting. I think that's one of the great skills that you can develop through learning through making, right? Oh, that, yeah. Uh, in my life, so many people can't troubleshoot. No, <laughs> yes. I know. Yeah. And there has to be fixings for them. Mm. We've had a few instant instances where we've had children that are very, um, they don't, they're not willing to troubleshoot and it's been an interesting process to walk them through it. And especially when they're term-based kids, it's great because every, time they're with us, I can remind them about that process and take them back. And we've had parents that have just been ecstatic that we work with them that way because yeah. it's not really readily available in most places. They just push them through their frustration mm -hmm. to just 
you know, be done with it. But we really try to work backwards and help them help them yeah. find their own way. But it's a very important skill mm. to develop. Mm. I think uh, it's something that a lot of people forget about. What education should also be contributing to kids' yeah. lives. It's not just the, the hard skills and the core skills, but all of those life skills Absolutely. that help you later yeah. in life. Yeah. So how about we do some rapid fire questions? Okay, so rapid fire I just questions. saw this. Oh no. Uh, your answer Under doesn't pressure. have to be rapid. Our question <laughs> can be rapid and don't feel under pressure. You can just say, I don't have one. Okay. Like book. Okay. <laughs> or, I don't have an app that I can't do without. So no pressure at all. Let's see how we go. So um, let's talk about people who, if any at all, has been very influ influential in you doing what you're doing here, either with Deacon Tank or with the way that you approach teaching? It's actually a really easy answer. It's Sir Ken Robinson. He's amazing. He's amazing, isn't he? SKR. <laughs> he, when I saw his talk 10 years ago, that was the thing that actually pushed me to homeschool. And then, and then, uh, and then he just kept inspiring me. Uh, any particular books that you would recommend people to read or maybe it's all of them? Uh, I don't I don't have a particular book um, but I am thinking of some other books that were inspiring like the, some of the John Holt books are really inspiring mm -hmm. just to kick you out of that whole thinking about school and thinking more about unschooling and letting go of, of, of those academic sort of Could pressures. you repeat the name of the author? John Holt Is it H-O-L-T? Yeah Got it. Uh, I can't. So he's about unschooling, right? Yeah, he's about unschooling and just sort of letting go of any... any um, and I, I'm not an unschooler, but it really helped push me to not to not have the pressure on myself to feel that my kids had to be at school, yeah. you know. Uns uh, being, in a, being a homeschooler has been a, a, a difficult choice at first because I was afraid... My family is full of teachers, you know, so I was really afraid to offend anybody in committee's teachers. It's not teacher's fault. It's just my choice. It's just totally my choice, you know. So, um, yeah, he, he helped me realize that, um, that it's, it can be done. We'll make a note of this in the mm -hmm. show notes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Any apps either on your phone related to schooling, of course, or your computer that well, are essential? I, I can't, I can't uh, go without saying that my, uh, we've developed a homeschooling app, so I can't live without that because really? I use it all Tell the time. It. It's called Auten, it's A-T-3-N, and uh, .com, and it's uh, it basically, you record against the curriculum and it takes notes and photos and, and uh, everything. And we've actually integrated that into the Tinker Tank app. So I use both those apps like all day long. Like I can't live without those apps, um, mostly because of my job. And the other one would be social media, anything social media, because that's how I promote my business. So I'm on them all day for my business. What do the people use for the socials these days? <laughs> um, well, it's funny because I'm not a Snapchat person. I don't get it. Um, I must be old. We're not that age group. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't get it either. So I get I get the interns to do the Snapchat stuff for me, but um, but we do Facebook and Instagram, and I do some stuff on LinkedIn, and I do some stuff on. Um, I think that's any Google Plus. Um, you know what? I just started setting up the Google Plus. I don't know what the value of that will be yet. I guess there's a lot of people on there, so maybe I should start thinking about it. I think I set something up a few years ago for Autumn but I haven't done it for Tinker Tank, so I yeah. should probably revisit that. 
you know, it's, it looks like it's disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> from my oh, career. has it? Yeah, I have no idea. I haven't been on it for so long, so. That's all right. Um, let's see, uh, Marcus? What advice would you give to educators just starting out? As a makerspace? Sure. sure. As, as an educator? As an educator? I was going to say as an educator, but as a makerspace, it's just as Well, there's two yeah. answers, I guess. There's two answers. So as a home educator, I think the main thing is to believe in you and knowing that you know your kids better than anybody else. That's it. That's the number one piece of advice. Um, and then just to go with the flow for being a home educator. And then for educators in, in general, like for teaching makerspace stuff and STEM, I say break outside of the box, learn new things, go to conferences, go to workshops, find out where your local makerspaces are, go visit them, talk to them, get to know them, have them come into the school, just get out there, you know, get out there and learn. You're a teacher, you need to keep learning. Cool, I'm gonna segue on that one. Exactly. There are a lot of PD and conferences which are just crap. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes there's really good gems which PD or conference have you been to in the last year that you found really, really good, if there has been one? Well, um, I've been, in the last year, I haven't been to very many. I went to a couple, and uh, there was a Raising Happy Kids conference, which was in Sydney, and it was fantastic because it covered both things for me. It covered homeschooling, and it covered um, what we do at Tinker Tank, so, because I was an exhibitor there, so it was great for me to meet homeschoolers and get the word out, and talk to families about what they're doing and what their needs are. Um, and then of course, there's the other end of the spectrum. I was at a, I was at South by Southwest a couple years ago and that just blew my mind. You know, there's so much going on over there. It's, it's inspiring Which and incredible. Which one? Uh, interactive? All of them. All of them. <laughs> the education to interactive and film. So I was involved in all, and then the music. So I went to the whole gamut and it was, it was uh, completely inspiring. Is that something that you think any educator I think both conferences would gain a lot by you? Absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, that home educators for sure should go to conferences about home educating because you'll learn so much from the people there, especially when you're first starting out. And, um, and then for, for Southwest, I mean, there's so many conferences for education. It's, it's um, like you said, it's, it's hit, hit or miss. But for big ones that are really creative, like things like South by Southwest in the States is, is a place you can't really lose because everyone's just vibrating with excitement, you know, the, of the possibilities in a, in a um, situation like that. So it's Austin, right? Yeah, it's Austin. It's in my list. Yeah, you gotta go. It's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely a bucket list for an educator or anyone interested in technology and, um, and then of course social aspects around all that. Uh, the Happy Kids Conference, I think that's its name, right? Is that an Australian conference? The Raising Happy Kids, yeah, Raising it's Australian. And it's, I think there's one coming up in November in Queensland, but they just had one here in, in Sydney. So it's a yearly conference. It's, right? It looks like it's now bi-annual. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, quite, it's getting quite popular. Mm -hmm. Got to check that out as well. I think it's Nurture Parenting Magazine is the, is the um, organization that's put it together. Mm -hmm. Another really quick question would be, just a piece of advice to, uh, to educators. We know that there's a lot of educators whose background is not related to STEM, but somehow they've been pushed into doing it. How would you advise them to boost their own confidence in STEM subjects so they can teach the kids? 
It's pretty much exactly what I said about um, makerspace educators. I think that they just need to get out there and meet the right people and, and go to meetups, go to makerspaces, and introduce themselves to the, to the operators of those facilities and let them know that they want to learn more and, and uh, put themselves out there. So face your fears. Face your fears. <laughs> Head on. It's the only way it's going to work, honestly. It's, it's the only way it's going to happen. And there's another way. Yeah. You can't download knowledge. No. Yet. Not yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Any parting thoughts for our listeners? Do's, don'ts, lookouts? Oh, boy. You want to get off your chest? You know, a lot, of pe- a lot of parents, I think, are a little bit... Um, afraid or unsure or are unclear of the value of STEM and STEAM. And I think that, you know, going to websites or places that can educate you about why it is important places, there's a a Facebook page called STEAM Train and they're great because they just list all the reasons why it's really important. Um, She's done tons of research and just compiled a wonderful resource list for parents. Educating yourself about it is only going to help your children. And what we're all about is just getting these kids on track, getting them to be, you know, at least on par with their peers and the rest of the world. Because right now we are so far behind in Australia and um, jobs for our kids are going to be very different than they are now. And the parents need to help their kids find the right path now. And uh, so that's my parting words is we're here to help. And um, we've got resources online. I will take phone calls. I'll chat with you. I'm here just to help. It's the number one priority. If a parent would like to expose the children to STEM education, how would you enable them to do that through Ticket Tank? Uh, is there some open day perhaps where they can come and uh, play around with the equipment, talk to you in person? Definitely, Uh, definitely. We have open days, usually once a month we have an open house. Um, We usually post it through our Facebook page or on Instagram. Sometimes we have it on our website, post it on our website. I try to do it once a month just to get people through here. We're actually going to offer a teacher's open house next month, which will be pretty exciting to get some teachers in Mm. here to show them possibilities. Um, and, uh, and we also, I, you know, if you just come by and ring the doorbell, we'll let you in to look around. We're usually here. Anytime, yeah. So just go to your thinkitank.com.au and right. they'll find all the information there to sign up, uh, your location, uh, the programs that you have, yes. uh, the open days. Yeah. And any events that we might be having because we events. have some really interesting events coming up this year. Right. Well, Yulia, thank you very much for your time uh, to talk to us, uh, to tell us about your experiences. It's been awesome. And uh, we should do it again. There's so much more to talk about. Definitely. You guys are welcome back anytime. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions, please send them to our email address, questions at stemiverse.com, and we'd be happy to answer them. Do you want us to interview someone in particular? Let us know. Visit us at stemiverse.com to get the show notes of every episode. And subscribe on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Stemiverse. That is S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.